Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I just kind of want to hear from you uh, what you're thinking and, and your reaction. I worked in TV news for almost 20 years, so I, I know of what you're talking about. And I looked you up online, and we have similar type of, uh, of lineage there in that sense in the broadcast world. I started out in Kalamazoo. I went from Kalamazoo to Pittsburgh, from Pittsburgh to Minneapolis. And before that, I was in Missouri and then out to uh, the Bay Area in San Jose. And now, ironically, I find myself back in Texas. So um, I'm not working in TV news anymore. I'm in, I'm in uh, auto finance. And I remember my first trip to Waco back there with my cousin Bobby. I was going uh, to, to my uh, grandmother's funeral. And we were driving down a street in the neighborhood. And, uh, and people were waving it. And I saw the front porches and just as we were driving by. And I said, Bobby, do you know these people? He said, man, I've been here in 20 years. <laughs> and I said, these are the wavingest folks I've ever seen. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> that's the way it is. Okay, know? let me let me ask you before you before you drop any more gems. Can I record? Uh, can I record our conversation so I can? Oh, sure, I have no problem. Okay. With that. Yeah. All right. Perfect. So, um, okay. So you grew up in. Waco Loud and Rogue Media Network, this is Invisible Icon, the Tom Wilson story. I'm your host, Travis Scott, and in the previous episode, we followed young Tom from his formative upbringing in Waco, to his time at the historic Fisk University, to graduating cum laude from Harvard University. Quickly, he started a record company and was able to produce 15 records, and after Transition Records goes under, Tom bounces around until he catches the attention of the head of Columbia Records. 
It's here where that classic Tom Wilson charm combines with his propensity for connection to position him to be the foreman of what we are referring to as the Music Factory years. From 1963 to 1968, Tom's name would appear on the back of 69 records. Nice, right? Records that not only read like a rock and roll's best of the 60s ad when dovetailed, but also any blind pick from this collection would be just as jaw-dropping and diverse. Records such as Coltrane Time by John Coltrane. soundtrack for West Side Story. When you're a jet, you're a jet All the way from your first cigarette To your last dying day When you're a jet, let them do what they can You've got brothers around You're a family man You're never alone God Bless the Grass by the late, great 1996 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee Pete Seeger. God bless the grass That grows through the crack they roll the concrete over it to try to keep it back. The concrete gets and even various songs from the original Batman series, including that nostalgic thing we've all come to know and love. These years were so rich in material and content, it really could be a series all on its own. But we'll focus on just four specific acts during this time, which would prove to be, in terms of musical influence on the rest of the rock world, four examples of why Tom Wilson deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The year is 1963. The U.S. would soon come down with an ear-piercing case of Beatlemania. The space race with the USSR is beginning to heat up. and President John Fitzgerald Kennedy would be laid to rest by the year's end. At last in Washington, a nobler drama takes command. Led by the slim, dark figure of Jacqueline Kennedy, there now begin those measured steps by which the nation bears its fallen presidents into history. Many highs and lows happened during this year, a year fraught with multiple I knew exactly where I was when so-and-so happened moments. For Tom, one of those moments would undoubtedly be his introduction to Bob Dylan while under the tutelage of David Kaprolic. Dylan is fresh off recording an EP and in the midst of recording the freewheeling Bob Dylan under legendary producer and civil rights activist John Hammond. Just like a woman but she breaks just like a little girl. 
Along with Bob Dylan, Hammond had launched the careers of countless acts, from Aretha Franklin to Leonard Cohen to Bruce Springsteen, and would relaunch the career of the Delta Blues master Robert Johnson. Yes, that Robert Johnson, the one who allegedly sold his soul to the devil to become a great musician. Hammond was a giant in the music industry, and rightfully so, was part of the first class of inductees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1986. Michael Hall, Texas Monthly Rider. He's the guy who brought in the band behind Bob Dylan on Subterranean Homesick Blues and Like a Rolling Stone. Um, Tom Wilson produced Dylan's acoustic records and then apparently, we don't know this, but apparently started to talk about, well, let's put a band on there and eventually did. So that was Tom Wilson. It's not exactly clear what caused the mid-recording switch, but whether it was luck, fate, or foresight, Tom was tapped to take the helm. Kaprolic would basically throw him and Bob Dylan into a room and say, good luck. Breaking the ice would prove to be a bit rocky at the start when Tom suggests bringing in studio musicians to accompany Dylan's folksy acoustic strumming. The singular vision of Dylan and his manager, Albert Grossman, were at odds with this suggestion. They felt the only performer should be Dylan. Eventually, the two would warm up enough to each other to wrap up the final four songs on the album. Now it's widely known that Tom is a jazz man, and jazz fanatics tend to thumb their nose at pop, and Tom was no exception to this. He was quoted at the time as saying, I didn't even particularly like folk music. I had been recording Sun Ra and Coltrane. I thought folk music was for the dumb guys. Dylan played like the dumb guys. But when these words came out, I was flabbergasted. Moving on to 1964. The United States is entering the Vietnam conflict. Fighting communist guerrillas in South Vietnam continues a slow grind. Pictures from the swampy Mekong Delta show government troops trying to ferret out the Viet Cong in a situation whose issue, according to U.S. Ambassador Maxwell Taylor, is militarily very much in doubt. The Civil Rights Act will be passed. Congress passes the most sweeping civil rights bill ever to be written into the law and thus reaffirms the conception of equality for all men that began with Lincoln and the Civil War 100 years ago. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. will receive the Nobel Prize for Peace. I accept the Nobel Prize for Peace at a moment when 22 million Negroes of the United States are engaged in a creative battle to end the long night of racial injustice. 
Tom and Bob Dylan would hook up again for Dylan's sophomore full-length effort, The Times They Are A-Changin'. If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone Or the times they are a-changin' The album's title track and strongest song Perhaps one of the most iconic songs of all time, but certainly one of the most poignant songs of the time. And keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again. And don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in spin. And there's no telling who that it's naming. Was the loser now will be later to win for the times they are a-changing. Later in the year, in a single day of recording, another side of Bob Dylan is cut with Tom producing and Dylan playing all the instruments. Now, at the time, the album was met with pretty harsh criticism. And for some, the album is written off as a failure, as it did not reach the top 40 like his previous two works. There is some speculation that Tom came up with the title, and Dylan was hesitant about it. Actually, in a 2016 article in Rolling Stone entitled How Bob Dylan Shed Spokesman Role on Another Side from music reporter David Brown. Dylan himself wasn't thrilled with the title, which he said was the work of Wilson and that Bob begged and pleaded him not to do it. Wherever the critics may stand on another side, There is no dispute that this album was a sea change moment for Dylan, and likely for Tom as well, because the next album these two would work on together would usher in the electric age for Dylan. Tom mentioned in the years following this album how he felt responsible for Dylan's rock and roll sound. Dylan responded to that claim with, Did he say that? Well, if he said it, more power to him. He did to a certain extent, that is true. He did. He had a sound in mind. For your family and for you as his son, what do you, what story or narrative do you want to be told or what do you want people who are from here who may hear his name, what do you want them to know? What's an appropriate um, way to preserve uh, his story. I think, I think if I was to kind of do it in little chunks of words, I would say a rebel, courage, resilient, and um, nimble. Because here's a man who has a strong affection for jazz, and that's where his roots are. And and not not jazz fusion, not the light light jazz like you're talking. I'm talking. John Coltrane, Thelonious Monk, people who have a kind of, um, there's an acerbic edge to their jazz um, and a complexity to it. And remember, his father played eight instruments. My dad played the trombone and the cello. um, And so there's an affection for music there. But at the same time, I can remember him telling me about signing and being assigned Bob Dylan. And he goes, Man, I mean, I'm a jazz guy. They they signed me this scraggly little folk singer, man, and 
said, but then he paused and he looked at me and he said, but the boy had something to say. And, uh, and so that is the kind of nimbleness I'm talking about. It's that chicken salad mentality where you're making chicken salad out of chicken shit. And not to say Dylan is chicken shit by any stretch of the imagination. Enter year 1965. 35,000 protesters march on Washington to protest the Vietnam conflict. The Voting Rights Act would finally be passed. There is no constitutional issue here. The command of the Constitution is plain. There is no moral issue. It is wrong, deadly wrong, to deny any of your fellow Americans the right to vote in this country. And Dr. Martin Luther King would lead a civil rights march in Alabama from Selma to Montgomery, culminating in the tragic Bloody Sunday incident on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Dallas County. Let us march on ballot boxes. To the Fabian misdeeds of bloodthirsty mobs, yes, sir, will be transformed into the calculated good deeds of orderly citizens. Speak, doctor. Let us march on ballot. Let us march until the Wallaces of our nation tremble away in silence. Let us march on ballot. Tom and Dylan work together for the last time on a full-length album, but it's a real game changer for Dylan. Tom's continued insistence on having a backing band behind Dylan finally clicks, and the first album where electric instruments are heard behind Bob Dylan is produced. Bring It All Back Home would cement Bob Dylan not just as a folk singer, but as a music legend in the making, with songs like Subterranean Homesick Blues. Maggie's Farm. And it's all right, Ma, I'm only bleeding. Darkness at the break of noon, shadows, even the silver spoon, the handmade blade, the child's balloon, eclipses both the sun and moon. To understand, you know, too soon, there is no sense in trying. He would skyrocket himself into the pantheon of the greatest songwriters of the 20th century. Dylan's name would be submitted by Bruce Springsteen, no less, and accepted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1988. So I'm just here tonight to say, to say thanks, to say that I wouldn't be here without you, to say that there isn't a soul in this room who does not owe you their thanks, and uh, to steal a line from one of your songs, whether you like it or not, he was the brother that I never had. Other inductees from that year would include the Beach Boys, the Beatles, and Blue's forefather, Lead Belly. My girl, my girl, don't lie to me. Tell me where did you sleep last night? Come on, tell me. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We're still in 1965. <laughs> 
On Dylan's next album, Highway 61 Revisited, Tom would only work on one track, but it certainly can be listed in the top five greatest Bob Dylan songs, and likely one which folks who don't even know much about him might know and recognize. In a recorded interview with the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum in Nashville, Tom's friend and legendary future Bob Dylan sideman Al Cooper talks about this session and how he contributed to the track. I met this producer named uh, Tom Wilson, and he started at first taking my songs and recording them with people. So he knew me as a songwriter, although he knew that I, I played guitar on sessions. He, he never hired me, though. But he did record my songs with people. And then he found out that I was like a, a Bob Dylan fan. So he said, uh, Al, you want to come to a Dylan session and watch? I said, yeah, I would love that. He says, next Thursday, uh, 2 o'clock, Studio B. I said, thank you so much, Tom. And I said, man, I want to play on that session. I really want to play on that session. And so, you know, I was practicing away and saying, boy, I got to be good. I'm going to play with Bob Dylan. And I was just going to go there and tell him I misunderstood him that he, you know, hired me. I thought he hired me to play. And so I got there real early and uh, I plugged in and all the other musicians, as they came in, they've seen me on sessions, didn't look weird to them. And I was doing pretty good. And then uh, 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 Dylan came in with uh, another guitar player and uh, and the guy sat down next to me and he, he was like plugged in, he was warming up. And just in warming up, he played 50 times better than me. And I went, I'm in deep trouble here. I got to get out of here. So uh, I got up and left the room and then I, I came back and I took the guitar and uh, I put it in the case and I put it under the chair. And I went back in the control room where I belonged and Tom Wilson never saw any of that. He got there and I was in the control room where I was supposed to be and he didn't see the other stuff. And, uh, and so the session is going along and they move the organ player over to piano. They don't like the organ. So I went over to Tom Wilson and I said, uh, man, I said, let me play the organ. I got a great part for this, which was total lie. I didn't have anything. I just wanted to play on this session. And he said, oh, Al, he said, you, you're a guitar player. What you doing? And then they said, uh, uh, Tom, you got to call on line one. He said, Al, you're a guitar player. Sit down. And, uh, and he went and got the call. And I said, well, he didn't say no. He just told me I was a guitar player. So I, I was 21 years old. I'd been in the business since I was 14. I knew a thing or two about you know, recording sessions and being a session musician, just not on the organ. As a matter of fact, the Hammond B3 organ is a really difficult instrument to turn on. And I didn't, uh, I didn't really know how to turn it on. So I went out there and I went, please, please, he didn't turn it off. Please, please, it's still on. It was still on. Because if it was turned off, this story would have a different ending. And I sat down at the organ 
And again, nobody looked at me funny. And uh, and then Tom came. He said, uh, "Okay, this is uh, uh, take two. Hey, what are you doing out there?" And the old magicians are laughing and everything. And that was the moment when he should have said, you know, would you get your white ass back in the control room where you're supposed to be? And he didn't do it. I don't know, you know, we never discussed it and he's gone now. So I don't know what he was thinking. But he, just, he was laughing and he stopped laughing. And he said, all right, all right, here we go. You know, he gave me a chance. And I couldn't hear the organ because the speaker for the organ was way across the room with a blanket over it so it didn't leak into other instruments. And it wasn't really very loud in the headphone mix. So I couldn't hear what I was playing. And the guitar, the other guy that was playing on the session was very loud in the headphones. So I had to play by knowing, by looking at my hands and knowing what notes went into the chords. Fortunately, there's only like four chords in the song. Also, there was no music. So I had to have memorized the song and I wasn't sure that I really had it. So when I was playing, I would like wait an eighth note before I came in to make sure it was the right chord. And that was like part of my part that I was playing because I didn't want to be the one that made that mistake. You know, I learned that many years ago especially since I was doing this commando raid on the organ. So it turned out to be the only complete take of the day, that take. So it ended and Tom Wilson said, uh, if you all want, you know, come in the studio, we're going to listen to that back. So we all went into the control room and they're playing it back. And it, after about 30 seconds, Dylan says to uh, Tom Wilson, he says, turn the organ up. And Tom Wilson says, hey, Bob, that guy's not an organ player. He's just, a, you know, he's a guitar player. And Bob said, I don't care what he is, make the organ louder. And uh, this past Monday, a, a week ago, was the 43rd anniversary of that day. Uh, and that's the day that I became an organ player, thanks to Tom Wilson and Bob Dylan. I think that one of the things that we see in this episode with Tom is the value of consistency. Um, you know, you, we see, you know, repeatedly, uh, you know, Tom is working with Bob Dylan. Tom is working with Bob Dylan. At first, it doesn't go over very well, but, you know, the two stick it out, work together and eventually start creating masterpieces. And even finally getting to the point where Tom is able to convince Bob Dylan that he could benefit from a backing band and how that transitioned Bob Dylan's sound into, you know, some of the work that really, really skyrocketed Bob Dylan's career into what it is that we know now. I also think that it's, it's, it's interesting to see the progress that we get to see in the music industry um, and, and where Tom is contributing to it during a time that is um, particularly so turbulent in the country, you know, the, uh, 
um, we're dealing with you know entering the the Vietnam conflict, the assassination of Kennedy. We're we're you know watching you know, civil rights marches and and finally seeing the passing of the Voting Rights Act. There there's just so much going on outside, and I think that that is very clearly mirrored on the inside of the story. We're you know inside of the studio, um, and in these connections that. Tom is making and the music that is coming out. Uh, I think it is also important to note that on the day that we are recording this, the legendary congressman and civil rights activist John Lewis is being laid to rest. You know, he was at that march um, from Selma to Montgomery and was uh, was there on the receiving end of the aggression against the peaceful protesters and the Bloody Sunday incidents. And, you know, honestly, just what a time to be alive. If you would just join me in a moment of silence for John Lewis. It's because of you know, the work of people like him that, you know, we are able to to even tell the stories that we are here to tell about um, these invisible icons like Tom Wilson. next episode of Invisible Icon, The Tom Wilson Story, we enter part two of the Music Factory years, where we see Tom resurrect a music duo that had all but quit music, and instead kicked off their career which ended up with 38 million albums sold. This podcast is produced by Rogue Media Network. Our executive producers are Lindsay Lippman, Zach Berg, Jacob Green, and Katie Selman. Our director is Mike Hamilton. Our theme music is by the Bowleys. Join us for the next installment of Invisible Icon, The Tom Wilson Story. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.